Welcome to Bruh Finance, and in this one, we're going to be talking about the long-term investor and the short-term investor, right? And I emphasize that because I'm not talking about a short-term investment, right? Which is like a you know maybe a short-term bond or anything. I'm talking about the person itself, the person carrying out these trades. So we're going to talk about that in this episode. Now, as always, full disclaimer. Please consult with a professional before making any financial decisions. This podcast is just for educational and entertainment purposes only. We are not professional finance advisors. So let's head over to the episode. All right, here we are for another episode. And we're going to be talking about being a short-term investor and a long-term investor. So, I mean, what is really the difference? I am a long-term investor. Kirk is a long-term investor. CJ is a long-term investor. Um, A lot of the people we... Um, I don't want to say work with because we're not a company or anything like that, but friends and contacts that we have, all of them are long-term investors. We don't play the short-term investor game simply because statistically, we don't think it's a winnable game. We really just don't. So let's kind of get into the definitions here. When we buy a company stock, we're aiming to hold that for years and years and years and years. Short-term investors are people who are trying to make money within a few days, few weeks. And here's the problem with um, the short-term investing game. And this has been uttered many times. The stock market in the short term, that means if a stock is worth $50 today, how confident are you that it's going to be worth 55 tomorrow, 40 or 33 or 98? Basically, nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's just a guess. And what you're going to find is there's a lot of people who think they can guess and they maybe guess right a number of times. Good for them. But that's not how you actually measure the success of that technique. What you have to look at is as a whole. Because if you just measure the really successful people, that well, you've got a bias. You need to go, well, is short-term investing for everyone involved in short-term investing actually doable for the average investor? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because I've read and heard and just even people close to us who try and make money quick, uh, it never ends well. <laughs> it never ends well trying to make a quick buck in the investment in, in, in stocks. It just doesn't really work. Now, you're going to have that 0.0001% who gets lucky every single time. But if that's your kind of strategy, it's not going to work because you can't, you can never know if you're going to be that 0.001%. You don't even know if you're going to be in the top 1%. You know, you, you just don't know. And a lot of the times, I think these short term investors, right, they're sort of like a survival bias. So if you have, like, let's say, a thousand short term investors and 500 of them go out of business, so then there's like no trace that they were ever investors. They're gone. And then that remaining 500 invested the next year, and you know there was like another 200 that were gone. And then you only measure that last 200 of their gains. It looks like they're very successful, but actually it's not. You've just cropped or you've culled the entire pool to do your measurement. So you need to look at the entire pool, not just the ones that are still around. You know, So when Sorry, just adjusting my chair. So when people do this short-term investing, they're trying to make these like really quick gains of doubling their money and all that. But the problem with that is every time you make a loss, your next bet needs to not only cover the loss, but it also has to profit on top of that. Now, the way we measure, well, one way we can measure the success of short-term investing is this. 
we talked about index funds in previous episodes. And if, if you're still not quite sure, here's the basic idea. If I put money in every single company in, let's say, the US, and then I aggregated, I, I added up all my investments in every single one of those companies, and I tracked their growth as a whole over X number of years, that would mean on some years, some companies make a profit. On some years, some other ones don't. And what will happen is they'll balance and balance themselves out. Now, if there are more profitable companies than there are um, non unprofitable companies, it will result in a net positive growth. That's how the economy grows. That growth is typically anywhere from seven to eleven percent. Now, I can invest in these companies blindly, literally blindly. I can put all my money in all these companies, not look at it for a year, two years, three years, and almost like clockwork, it will grow by 7% or 11% or around that range consistently over a long period of time. History has shown us that. Even though you can't say that history will necessarily repeat, it kind of makes sense logically, and here's why. If you are an economy, if you're like the US, what is your agenda? To not grow the economy or to grow the economy? Well, the agenda is to grow the economy. So whilst you may have years where it dips, uh, you know, dips further, generally speaking, the interest of that country is to grow that economy. You want it to grow. Now, it's very little effort to invest in these index funds, right? If you're a short-term investor, it's a lot of work. You're constantly tracking things and you're watching stocks and that's a lot of work. You you know, we have jobs, we have kids, we have responsibilities. I haven't got time for that, right? Anybody got time for that? So for me, it's like investing in index makes sense because I could literally take whatever excess capital I have for the month, put it in the US total stock market, like Vanguard VTS, for example, or I think it's VTI in the US. Oh, well, we're all in Australia. So Vanguard VTS, or I can put it in Vanguard property or Vanguard uh, what do you call it? Australian stocks, or you can put it into what is that? BlackRock. There's iShares. There's, there's so many different kinds of like basic index funds that I can put in. And once I put it in there, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to do anything. It's the laziest thing. As Jack Bogle says, who's like the investor of Vanguard. In life, we're taught to move, take action, you know, get result, all those kinds of things. Investing is the complete opposite. Buy it and then just stand there. Don't do anything. Don't touch anything. Don't look anywhere. Just stay still. Don't mess with it. That's that's all you got to do. And you will actually get better gains than a short-term investor. So the short-term investor would have to beat that 7% growth every year to be considered successful. Now, here are the stats. For every given year, there's only about 4% that can beat the market. Now, whenever you hear that, beat the market, what that means is beating an index, okay? Because that's the index is the benchmark. So if the index can give you 7% with almost no effort and short-term investing gives you, let's say, 7% with massive effort, which one would you much rather do? Right? You take the index. Now, if the short-term investor gives you a little bit more, then you're like, oh, maybe I'll do it, but it's still not worth all that work. Also, you need to actually know how to analyze companies. You need to know what you're buying. That's a lot of work to study, right? And kind of going back to the stats, in any given year, right? Now, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure about this. Only 4% can beat the market, 4%. And every year, those 4% are not the same 4% of people. It's constantly changing. 
with an index fund, you want it to compound. So you want to be able to consistently grow your money. Now, I'm just going to pause it for a second, and I'm going to find the story of Warren Buffett when he challenged these investors to see if they can uh, beat an index. So I'm just going to pause it for a second. I'm going to try and find it. All right, so I've got the story here. So I'm going to read out kind of like a snippet of the whole thing. A uh, snippet of the whole thing. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> let, me, let me get the kind of the, the first section, all right? So this article was by Nikhil Agarwal, etmarkets.com. This was last updated June 25th, 2021. And what website is this? This is the economic Times, uh, indiatimes.com. All right. New York hedge-based fund manager Ted Seeds, who had lost a $1 million bet to Warren Buffett on active versus passive investing. So active being the short-term investors or the stock pickers, the passive investing being the um, index funds, still believes in the superiority of hedge funds over index funds. Quote, if circumstances identical to those in 2007 are presented today, I would still make the bet. I believe the decision to bet on hedge funds was a good one. Quote, end quote, Seeds wrote in his recently released book, Capital Allocators. In 2017, Seeds had lost a 10-year bet with Buffett that pitted Vanguard's S&P 500 index fund against a portfolio of high-cost hedge funds, as, present, as represented by the selection of five hedge fund hedge fund of fund products. So a hedge fund is basically a group of people that try and pick stocks. Okay. Uh, quote, costs skyrocketed. Uh, skyrocket when large annual fees, large performance fees, and active trading costs are all added to the active investor's equation. Okay, what does that mean? Annual fees, basically, you're paying them for a service, right? And there's a fee with that, same as um, the banks holding onto your money. There's a fee. Performance fee, so, you know, the stock pickers make money off the trades. And then active trading costs, what that means is every time you execute a trade, that costs money. So every time you make that trade, you lose a bit of money, which then you have to profit. You have to make enough profit to cover that trade, cover any previous loss, and then make a profit that is better than an index fund. Okay, investors on an average and over time will do better staying with a low-cost index fund than a group of funds of funds, right? Or you know, hedge funds was Buffett's argument in the wager. So that bet actually went for ten years, and. You know, reading more about it in 2009, obviously we had the global financial crisis. It tanked, right? The stock market tanked. And what the hedge funds did is they go, well, all the, everything's cheap now. Let's buy heaps of stock. So they rode that recovery. And I think it was within four years, the index funds had caught back up and then surpassed them. Now, there was another article I was reading just a second ago. Let me find the stats here. I can go back. Uh, da, 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 da. I think it's this one. Okay, let me just read some of the stats. Okay, year nine cumulative return. So this is from Investopedia. So from 2008 through to 2016. So there were five, uh, five funds, and they were comparing the cumulative returns, so the total returns. Um, the first fund made 8.7%. The second one made 28%. The third made 62%. The uh, fourth one made 2.9, and the fifth one made 7.5. Now, the average hedge fund uh, return was 22%. Now, the index fund, if you'd had it just bought it and held it, would have been at 85%. 85, doing nothing. You didn't have to do anything. You just buy it and leave it. When the market crashes, you just leave it, 
right? Now, some people are going to, for example, let's say you bought six months before COVID hit. So you bought a whatever index fund, let's say at $100, and it was climbing, climbing, became $150, and then COVID happened, and it dropped all the way back down to, let's say, $30, for example. Very exaggerated. Went all the way back to $30. What do you do? Do you sell? No, because the understanding of the index fund is that over the long term, the economy recovers. Why? Because if you think of any economy, when it when it crashes down, especially one as powerful as the US, you know, Australia, Europe, a lot of these kinds of economies, China, the people, the government want it to recover. It's quite natural. You don't want to live in a crappy economy. You want to do the things you can. And it comes down to people going, well, hey, there's an opportunity here. Let's start a business or let's start a new product or a new service to get out of this, right? There's always opportunistic entrepreneurs looking to capitalize on when things go down, right? There's always opportunity if you're looking for it. And what happens is the market starts to recover. And if you look back in history, okay, this happens a lot. This happens a lot. So if it's happened before, it's going to happen again. And by understanding what's happened in the past, you'll understand how to react in the future. Okay. For example, there would have been lots of stock market crashes in the past. Let me actually just Google this. Stock market crash history. I'm doing this on the fly. List of stock market crash. Yeah, it goes all the way back to the 1600s. But let's see if we can find some kind of uh, newer ones. You had the dot-com bubble in the year 2000, for example. That was probably the recent one. United States bear market, 2007 financial crisis, um, 2010 flash crisis. You would have had like real estate ones, cryptocurrency. There's, well, okay, let's not talk about crypto. Just forget I said that. But, you know, looking back, there's a lot of events where markets crashed. But time and time again, it grew. It recovered. It, all, it pretty much always does. Now, do I 100% rely on the stock market, stock market for my entire finances? Of course not. You always want to kind of like have some diversification. So my thinking is always like, I'm going to have the stocks, but if that doesn't work and I need a backup, I've got real estate. If that doesn't work, I've got passive income. If that doesn't work, I've got you know option D, E, F, whatever, right? In order to kind of protect yourself. Or you just have like a whole huge bunch of savings as well, right? And then you have your super and you have all the other stuff. So by having all that in place, if one should fail, you're kind of okay as well, all right? So let's kind of get back into the long-term, short-term investing of why it's why it is hard to do short-term investing. Number one is like short-term investors may not experience the compounding effect of money, they're really just trying to go, well, it's going to go up. I'm going to bank on that. And then I'll have to repeat it again. Now, much like a casino, and I think I said, I don't know if I said this at the beginning of the podcast, they have the saying where, you know, in the short term, stock markets are like a casino, right? Like playing roulette. It's literally just luck, right? But long term, the market is actually very predictable. It's actually very predictable. You can calculate it. You can do all sorts of mathematics on it and see in the long term. In the very long term, which is why we prefer long-term investing. And I suppose the other benefit is, you know, once I put the money in, I can just focus on my life. I don't have to think about it. In fact, there's a lot of times, and, you know, Kirk and that will attest to this, which is <laughs> you'll put X number of dollars into the stock market, you know, via an index fund, and you will actually forget you have it. You'll completely forget. And, you know, you're not looking at what the economy is doing. You're not looking at any of that stuff. And it always feels good that, when you do remember like one or two months later, you're like, hey, I made 
five grand doing nothing. You know, it's really crazy. And you know, once you start making gains on index funds, for example, let's say you make a ten thousand dollar profit on index funds, just think about how how long it would take for you to save ten thousand dollars. Just think about that and compare it, and then you'll see like, wow, like investing is good. But also remember that, and and be ready for that stock to crash as well. It's gonna happen in every point uh, in every investor's life at one point or two point, like multiple occasions throughout your investing career, right? 10, 20, 30 years, you will lose half the value of your stocks, possibly more. It's just part of how it works. But what we're teaching you in this podcast is learning how to manage your emotions and before reacting emotionally, understand what is actually happening. When the stock market crashed in 2020 because of COVID, myself, Kirk, CJ, and a group of our uh, friends who all are who are all in this, none of us reacted, none of us panicked. We all just said, okay, what's happening? Okay, the stock market has crashed. Is it going to keep crashing? Probably a bit more, but it doesn't matter because it's already lost a lot of its value. Are these companies probably going to go out of business? Probably not. You got companies like you know Facebook and Microsoft. They're not going to go out of business. Do you know how strong these companies are? There's a story of years ago where Bill Gates always kept enough cash, cash on hand for the business, right, to pay everybody's wages for two years if no customer bought their product. He was that conservative because he wanted his company to survive. These massive companies will survive because a lot of people have money in in these companies. They want to see them succeed. And in fact, you're going to have companies like Zoom, for example, that capitalized on when the market crashed because suddenly everyone was work from home and they needed technology to remain in contact and do their work and for businesses to run. And the stocks, stocks for Zoom just went crazy. So did Microsoft, so did Tesla, so did a lot of these other places, right? So getting back to the point of your stocks will probably lose value at some point is understanding that it will recover. It will recover. Just don't panic. Don't freak out. It's it's happened before. It will happen again. It will lose value, but it will recover again. That's just kind of the nature of index funds. So you don't really have to worry. Don't panic. In fact, what you should be doing is if there's any sort of event like that, a big black swan event, start thinking about, well, where are the opportunities? Where can I actually make money? Is the stock market low at the moment for the companies that I'm interested in or for the index funds that I'm interested in? Or did the real estate, did real estate crash as well? Because nobody can afford houses. So the pricing of houses has gone down. Should I buy real estate now? So anytime that bad things happen, that's the stuff we as long-term investors is as kind of immoral as that sound sounds. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for when th- bad things happen. So when I'm reading the news and I'm hearing all these bad things, I'm like, oh, it's sounding like it's time to do some investing because now we're seeing that everyone else is losing confidence in the market or in certain businesses. But when you look at it deep inside, you're like, actually, it's all fine. It's all good. You know, It's just people tend to panic. And a lot of the stock market is kind of responds to all this speculative investing. It's just these people guessing, buying businesses they don't understand, buying stocks they don't understand, making really weird decisions, buying and selling at the wrong times, or buying and selling at all, or selling at least. 
you know, just doing all that crazy stuff. So you don't want to be in that group of people. You want to be able to look at things, assess them, make a, make a decision, don't get emotional, follow the numbers, get some professional advice, and then take it from there. All right. So those are just like my viewpoints on long-term versus short-term investors. I personally want to, I'm personally a long-term investor. I don't think I'm going to change that. I have no time to be a short-term investor anyway. I don't think I'm going to get as good at gains anyway. Occasionally, maybe I'll buy a single company if the conditions are right, right? Which is a whole nother topic unto itself. But that is not a day trade. That is a long-term investment as well, even though it's a single company because we've done the analysis. All right. So I'm going to leave it there for now. Hope you guys enjoyed and I will see you at the next episode. Thanks for watching another episode of Bruh Finance. If you want to support the work we're doing, you love the things you're hearing from us, consider supporting us through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash brah, B-R-A-H underscore finance. By signing up, you're going to get access to all sorts of things like spreadsheets and articles and video and training and all sorts of content. So again, thank you for watching and have a great day.